You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and thanks for joining me here on this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and on tonight's show I'm in Belfast talking to butcher Garrett Landers at the World Butchers Challenge and I also meet food entrepreneur Morris Allshire. Best-selling author and entrepreneur Daniel Priestley has advice for food and beverage owners about how to become an oversubscribed business. And we're going back to 2015 when our wine guru, Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants, was in studio to talk about wine for Easter. Perfect for this Sunday. If at any point you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. So to start the show off tonight, we're going to the Fitzgerald's Woodlands Hotel in Adair, where I recently met Daniel Priestley. Daniel is a best-selling author and successful entrepreneur and was delivering a two-day workshop to impart invaluable advice about how to create an oversubscribed business. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Daniel, it's been great to be here in the Woodlands with you for the past two days at your oversubscribed workshop. I don't think there's a business in the country that wouldn't want to be oversubscribed. Will you just explain to us what it's all about? Yeah, so the idea of being oversubscribed is to have a business where people are lining up to do business with you. And in many cases, some people who want to do business with you miss out because they didn't get there in time. Um, So if you imagine a great restaurant uh, is booked out in advance or maybe has a queue waiting out the front, um, there are certain bottles of wine that get sold out and you you know wine collectors buy them uh, you know very very quickly these are businesses that are oversubscribed and you have developed a whole business around that which started when you were 10 years of age that was your first entrepreneurial experience tell us about that yeah the, the fire damaged goods scene. well yeah I was I was um, opened by sharing that my first entrepreneurial experience was uh, a fire damaged our kitchen and all all the things got damaged and I got very excited about cleaning them and selling them in a garage sale and um, and I promoted the garage sale I had you know, hundreds of people turning up and we sold everything in the garage sale um, very very quickly and it was just a really exciting experience and I ended up uh, making enough money to buy a fluorescent green BMX which was basically a BMW for a 10 year old so absolutely I remember them well from my brother and this was all in Australia because that's where you're from yeah I grew up in Australia but have spent the last 12 years in London. You have a business in Australia and also yep, in the so UK. we have offices in Australia, Singapore, UK and the USA. And do you see yourself going back to Australia or do you see the future? Well, I married around? a British girl so <laughs> you know we've got our families here, we're very much settled, we've got kids. Um, no one tells you that when you meet a uh, when you meet a girl while you're travelling abroad that's going to change the whole rest of your life. Well I mean I, I met one from down here, I'm from the north but look the less said about that the better. You work with a number of different food and drink companies and mm. personalities. Tell us about Bill Granger. He's the Jason Donovan lookalike that he has a cookery show that we will have seen on television yeah, Bill, here. Bill Granger, an Australian from Sydney, um, he's someone who I've admired for a long time because his restaurants are always oversubscribed. I featured him in the book. Um, and, you know, if you go to any of the Granger & Co restaurants, you'll see 20, 30 people lining up most of the time waiting to get into the restaurant. And um, what I like about what he does is that even though there's a lineup out the front, 
when you get inside, the experience is really powerful. Um, the food's good, the service is good, um, the coffee's great, the uh, scrambled eggs are wonderful. You know, whatever it is that you're you're ordering, and they don't overcrowd the restaurant. They don't encourage you to leave because there's a uh, queue out the front. Um, so the formula works and he's he's gotten all of that uh in a replicatable model and he's been able to open up um, restaurants all over the world do you think that works for him because he's in london and it's a city that is very densely populated so if we're in he's like, also in hawaii and he's also in japan and he, he's all over the world um he started out in sydney and it was a big lineup out the front of sydney what he's figured out is that his formula is to be in an upmarket neighborhood surrounded by regulars who keep coming back and back and back and back and he's interested in being in the in a small footprint he doesn't do big restaurants does about 50 people um, in a in a typical restaurant and he positions them does a lot of research into the locations that he's going to use but yeah he could definitely do one in say Dublin in an upmarket neighborhood um, he's looking for he also knows that he's in the business of repeat business so he's not trying to go for tourists or one-offs or people to come visit for the first time he's interested in people who come every week so how do you translate that to a smaller place in Ireland, for example, in Limerick or somewhere like the village of Adair? What advice do you give to somebody that has a cafe in, in a small village area? So f- focus very much on the quality of the experience and absolutely delighting each and every person who comes along because, you know, that's important, especially if you've got the opportunity to have repeat business. Um, a one-off client might spend £20, €20. Euros. Um, a person who comes by every week might spend Four hundred euros a year. So you know the the regulars market is always um, the market that you want to go for, and the regulars inform the tourists. So um, you know, so that's you know that's the flow-on effect there. So I would I would always think that you're in the business not of coffee, not of food, but you're in the business of regulars um, as one of the key things. The other thing too is be it'd be really easy to discover you know don't be the best kept secret make sure that there's good reviews online there's lots of nice imagery online there's um, videos there's blogs um, you know that people can easily find you on Google Maps the number of food and re- beverage uh, businesses that I see that you search for them on Google Maps and they've not even updated their profile um, or they've not uploaded any photos you know a lot of people discover what's in their area just by looking on the Google Maps app you gave some great examples over the past two days about content curation and management and you gave some suggestions of tools that can be used that are free also and you also gave an example of one of your clients in Australia who's on TV who's very pro-paleo tell us about Mm. him so Pete Evans uh, is a celebrity chef in Australia Um, he's watched by 4 million people per week but he has a he has a very clear philosophy and his philosophy is about the paleo diet he wears a t-shirt that says food is medicine um and um you know he's very passionate about amazing quality ingredients um, and a paleo lifestyle and what i encourage all people to do is to develop a philosophy around the business that they're in so don't just try and do what everyone else is doing be a little bit contrarian develop products and services that are in alignment with some sort of a philosophy maybe some people don't want to be part of that philosophy but for every person who passionately doesn't like it there's probably two or three who passionately love what you're doing Um, so you know pete evans is a great example of a food philosophy um, or a you know infusing philosophy 
philosophy into what he does. And let's talk about you now and what you like food and drink wise. You're obviously from Australia, you're living in the UK and you mm. travel extensively. So do you have a little black book of restaurants and bars that you like to go to in different well, cities? I, I certainly did before I had two little children. Now, like all of my little black book is about do they have a play centre? Do they have a, a <laughs> all of those kind of things? Um, uh, you know, one of the things we're very spoilt in Australia with food and beverage. I mean, we have phenomenal coffee in Sydney and Melbourne. We have unbelievably good breakfasts. Uh, breakfast is religion in Australia. So, you know, one thing that shocked me when I first came to London 12 years ago is that breakfast wasn't really even a thing. Um, whereas in Australia, it's like a major thing. You know, every restaurant that's worth its, you know, worth its salt is doing a great breakfast. Um, restaurants compete on breakfast. Um, you know, we, we, we put as much breakfast, uh, much energy into breakfast as we do into, uh, you know, evening uh, dinner or desserts. Um, and uh, and actually, I hope that catches on because you know breakfast is a great breakfast or brunch is a great meal to get out and meet people and have a catch up with friends and all that sort of stuff. And too often, the breakfast is very underwhelming as you travel. And I think especially when you have two small children, you're always up and yeah, you're, it and yeah, you're, you're always for places up. to go to. Exactly. And actually, with small children, breakfast, especially on the weekends, an early breakfast is one of the meals that if you know. You, you want to be able to take small children out so they have an experience of being out in public. You don't want to ruin dinner. You don't want to be past their bedtime. Um, lunch is always very, very busy. So actually, parents, breakfast is a great market for, for getting um, parents to come out and visit the restaurant. So your black book is some family-friendly breakfast places. That's, a, that's actually it? true. Yeah, yeah. I do. I, um, that's actually one of my favourites, family-friendly breakfasts. You've stayed now in Ireland for the past night. This isn't your first visit to Ireland, is I've it? I've been to Dublin many times. Um, it's my first time outside of Dublin. And what do you think of the cuisine in Ireland? Well, I haven't had a huge opportunity, but, I mean, we've been going to the bistro each night and, um, and certainly the size the size of the meal has been uh, has been excellent um i probably haven't had enough to comment um but it, but it's been um it's been great it's been nice hearty meals um here at uh, here at the woodlands um do you find it difficult when you're traveling just to keep the the meals in check whenever i used to travel a lot i used to, every time i got on the plane i thought yeah i have to have an extra bread roll there because i don't know when i'm going to be able to eat again even though i was eating quite regularly i'm the opposite i find that when i travel i put on like a kilo because there's always great food around the hotels and all that sort of stuff and you have the big you know the big uh, cooked you know every you know, five meals a day bustling around and everyone wants to eat and have cookies with you you know as soon as I checked into the room here I got freshly baked cookies and I I ate those and I thought, why did I eat cookies? I wouldn't normally eat cookies at this time of day. But, but they were there and they, it would be rude not were, to. Yeah, exactly, and they're <laughs> freshly baked. In terms of your business then, Dent, what is your vision for it for the future? Because obviously you are hugely successful now, going all over the world, delivering your programs. You have mm. a very impressive client list. The key person of influence, that's something you must tell us about. Yeah, so the vision of our business is for entrepreneurial teams to solve the world's most meaningful problems. And we run business business accelerators that really help accelerate people through their entrepreneurial journey. They help them become more successful as entrepreneurs and make more money. But the deeper purpose of what we do and why we do what we do is we align a lot of entrepreneurs to the United Nations Global Goals. We marry successful businesses up with successful charities uh, and causes and do pro bono work. 
Uh, we put CEOs of charities through our entrepreneur accelerators so that they accelerate their um, their causes as well. So a huge part of what drives me is a belief that entrepreneurial solutions are really powerful at solving big problems. Um, when you create a entrepreneurial solution by nature it scales so if you can create you know if you look at how fast a product like the iPod got into the hands of hundreds of millions of people you know it's a, it's an extraordinary force of nature and if you can apply those principles and those ideas to you know getting plastic out of the oceans or to um, you know creating new forests um, or to uh, transitioning towards solar power all of those things it's the entrepreneurs who are actually driving those initiatives more so than governments now and you finished off today with your three tips or your three pieces of advice to entrepreneurs one of them was like it has to be fun yeah and to make a dent and there was one more to be brave, to be brave so yeah. the values of our organization are to be brave to have fun and make a dent so when we asked ourselves what do what do the most what are the common values that we see? Because I've had the opportunity to work with people who have built multi-billion pound businesses and philanthropists and um, people who have been incredibly successful starting with nothing, celebrities. Um, and what's, what's the, what are the values that kind of unite the ones that really inspire us the most? And bravery is a huge part of it. They get outside of their comfort zone. They take risks. They, um, they act upon their intuitions. They act upon their instincts. And, you know, even when it's a bit fearful, they get out there and they're brave. Secondly, they're having fun. And they're having fun even when it's hard. And they're having fun. They never lose sight of the bigger picture or the gratitude. And it actually gives them good, happy spirits. Um, and then the final one is that they want to make an impact. They want to do something big in the world that gets you know, noticed um, and, and impacts people's lives. So we call that making a dent. So when we created the values of our organisation, which we all live by, is to be brave, to have fun and to make a dent in the universe. And you did say about the material things and earning the money and having the nice house and the car, that those things do lose their shine after a while. Yeah, I was, well, I was saying that, um, you know, we, we've probably all had the experience of of wanting that shiny object and um, you know wouldn't it be oh I can't wait to get that watch or handbag or car or house and sure enough two years later it's just you know it's just a thing that you, it doesn't have the same magnetism that it, that it has or it doesn't have it doesn't have that same you know magical quality that it had when you wanted it um, but one thing that has never been underwhelming is the impact of doing important big meaningful work you know doing stuff that feels like you know this is what I'm meant to be doing um, so having meaningful relationships doing meaningful work um, you know that's that's what it's all about well it's been lovely to talk to you thanks so much for your time because I'm sure you're exhausted after those two days and um, I'm certainly inspired and definitely want to have more fun in my business so thanks so much pleasure You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. You're very welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to Daniel Priestley about how to create an oversubscribed business and who wouldn't want one of those. If you missed that and you're just tuning in now you can catch up on that interview on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts they are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app and it's also on the taste.ie 
website, voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Still to come tonight, we'll find out what wine we should be serving this Sunday with our Easter dinner, thanks to Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants. But next tonight, we're going up to Belfast. I was up in the north for a few days last week, and when I was there, I bumped into two people from this side of the border. Garrett Landers was there to captain the Ireland team at the World Butchers Challenge, and Morris Altshire is a young food entrepreneur who was promoting his biltong. So let's have a listen to Morris first, and then Garrett. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Morris from Ross Carberry Irish Biltong. What is Biltong? Biltong is a, it's a dried beef snack. So it originates from South Africa. Um, and it's, it's a cured and dried, <laughs> air dried beef snack. And where did you get the idea to make it? So I came across Biltong through CrossFit. Um, I was training CrossFit kind of seriously and uh, just the need for good food and a good snack um, and I came across Biltong just to fulfil that. Now the Ross Carberry brand would be very well known in Ireland, tell us why that is. Yeah so my, my parents have been making black and white pudding, sausages and rashers and winning national international awards for the same um, for so many years and we then supplying some of the top hotels and restaurants in the company as well as in the country even so um, yeah it was a nice add-on. Were you working in the business whenever you came up with the idea? I was actually still in school when I came up with the idea. Um, I'd originally planned to go to college and I got my points and got my course. And uh, I actually had great, great satisfaction in telling them that I didn't actually want to do my course. What was the course in? I was, uh, I was doing food entrepreneurship and marketing in, uh, in UCC. So there was synergy there between the family business and what you were going to study, but you have put it all to one side. Yeah, so it was it was all based to do with the, to do with the business anyway. Um, but uh, I decided to uh, to start this instead and develop Biltong from scratch. So it's really taken off for you. Where is it available? Yeah, so it's uh, it's available in um, in most shops in Cork and Kerry now, and um, I'm actually looking for a distributor at the moment. So hopefully it'll be nationwide soon. So there, you're, it sounds like you're in talks with somebody at the moment. We won't ask you any more about that. But I'd say a lot of companies have noticed you because of a recent award that you got. Yeah, I was um, on top of Blossom Heron. I won uh, I was the youngest ever award winner in Blossom Heron two weeks before I launched it. And uh, I just I was mentioned as one of the top 100 hot startups in the Sunday Business Post a few weeks ago. So that was another nice boost. Tell me about the Blossom Heron Award. What did you get there last year? I uh, was awarded silver in the savoury snacks category. Wow, you must have been delighted to get that. Yeah, two weeks before I launched it, you literally couldn't have asked for it. Like, it was unreal. Whenever you tell people that this is what you do, people outside of the food arena, what sort of reaction do you get from them? As in my friends? Oh, um, well, they're, they're, all, they're mostly in college. Like, they're on a four-year party. Um, so they either think I'm nuts or... Yeah, mostly just nuts. But is that the market that you're aiming for, that younger group of people, because this is something that would be very familiar to them? Yeah, so um, it's, it's a convenient snack. Um, it's high in protein, it's naturally high in vitamins and minerals, um, and it's real food, you know, just going back to real food, getting away from your high-protein bears, which are kind of a glorified chocolate bear anyway, and just getting back to real food, so yeah. Is it designed for the health market? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's designed for the health, health market, but it goes into so many other markets as well. 
I would imagine that now it has changed from maybe five or ten years ago that these sort of snacks, people are more aware of them, whether they're on a health kick or not on a health kick. Like it's, it's a great alternative to a bag of crisps. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you go into um, a supermarket now, the health food oils are just growing and growing. Um, and having said that, like there's a lot of stuff in the health food oils, um, like the, the high protein berries, which are growing too. Um, but we try and stay away from them, go back to real food. And have you any plans to develop the range? Yeah, um, so once, once I'm established, I, um, I plan to launch another two flavours in Biltong and uh, jerky in the coming year and a half. Fantastic. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. If people want to find out more about you and your business, where's the best place for them to go to? Uh, Instagram, Ross Carey Biltong, and uh, the website is under construction, but it's www.rosscarryrecipes.ie. Fantastic. Lovely to talk to you, Morris. Thanks so much. Thanks very much. Garrett, tell us what you're doing in Belfast. Uh, I'm the Irish team captain here and we're um, part of Team Ireland and we're in the World Butchers Challenge. It's, it's the biggest uh, butchering event ever held in the world. So uh, it's Ireland's first time in the competition that's been held here in Belfast. So I, I'm a, uh, we're a team of six and we've about three, we've three hours, 15 minutes to break down pork, lamb, uh, beef and chicken to, uh, to break it down into primal uh, value added, make sausages and burgers. So pressure will be on for three hours and 15 minutes. Tell me about your team members because it is a cross-border initiative. It's a cross-border. We, we encompass the 32 counties of Ireland. So we have, uh, there's two butchers from Limerick, myself and Stephen Cook, who's from Brough, and we have uh, Eamon Ederson, who's from Port Rush. We've Ian Kernan, who's from Fintana in uh, Tyrone. We've Collie Donnelly, who's from uh, Cookstown. And we have uh, Stephen Miller, who's from Irvinstown. How did you bring the team together? How did you select uh, your teammates? We were selected, would you believe, they did, um, I think it was about 200 or 250 butchers started off uh, when it was announced there about 18 months ago and it's, it was brought kind of between different cutting um, competitions, I suppose you would call, and different in-house things. Then we, we uh, what it down to about six, well there's, not, there's eight of us, we have two, two subs as well. So we've been training hard now it's for the last probably year now, I would say, very very much so since Christmas. So we've had, a, I think we've only had one Sunday after due to the snow over Christmas. So that was it. So we're fairly good now. We seem to be, we seem to be hitting our strides now the last few weeks we've been. And do you come together to do that training? We do. We've trained in Lockery College and we've trained in uh, DIT in Dublin. We've trained down in Limerick. So what we try to do then is kind of go into bring it all over Ireland. So we've trained nearly in as I said, Limerick, Dublin. Um, the, the, the last few weeks now we've trained up here because most of our members are from, or most of the team members are from the north. So it was easier for us to come up here then. So it's been it's been a hectic few weeks. So who are you up against then? Uh, we are up against there's 12 countries now, but there's we'd be probably in the running as well. Like, but there's probably you'd have France, New Zealand, Australia, Italy, South Africa. There's a lot of top countries. There's a lot of the best butchers in the world are here. It sounds like it's a real coup to have it here in Belfast. Oh my God, yeah, yeah, it, it, it is. No, I think they're, they're looking at the next one is in California. They're hoping they're France, you know. So, oh, it's a huge, huge, especially for Belfast. And even the setup here today, we've been here since early this morning. Like, and it's great. Like, and we've, the, as you can see, the young butchers are on at the moment. Like, and the level is is unbelievable, really. Like, you know, it's, it's a real, 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 real high end, you know. So, as I said, you probably have the best butchers in, in representing the countries from all over the world. So, it's great, uh, great excitement here today. And the apprentice butcher company is on as well. on at the moment, yeah. We had two chaps now in the Irish team going this morning. We have another two now going this evening. One chap is from Dublin and the other ch uh, chap is from Donegal. So um, they, they should fare fairly well now. But the same thing with the, with the, the, 
junior butchers like it is the, the competition is serious level like you know so it's great it's great to be part of it but great to be up in the top end of it as well you know so we're hoping we're on in the morning at half seven so we're hoping we're hoping to we're hoping to do very well really <laughs> well tell us a bit about yourself you're from west limerick I'm from newcastle west originally yeah yeah and i was uh, my father was a guard in newcastle west and uh, i have two shops in limerick one in castle troy and one in raheen so we uh, same thing you know, i travel i lived we lived in Australia, we lived all over the world and we came back about 12 or 14 years ago. My wife gave me 12 months to open the shop and we were going back to Australia. So I, had, I had to open under pressure, so thank God everything has worked out great. Yeah, yeah. And where did you learn your trade? Was it in I learned, Australia? Yeah, I learned my trade in Newcastle West. I worked in London, I worked in Australia, I worked in uh, America. So I have a good, I work for kosher butchers, traditional butchers, so I have a good a lot of experience, you know, but and you'd wanted coming into this competition because the level is very high. Like, so we had to really innovate now for this. Like, we really had to think outside the box in that too, you know, and and still to keep keep the tradition and the art of butchering as well as you know as our main focus, you know. But oh, it's good now. It's re- very enjoyable. Like, you must have seen a lot of changes in consumer trends since you trained. Oh, massive, yeah, yeah, yeah. And even uh, we find even even like the butchering trade is very exciting trade to be in at the moment. Like, because we're probably we're we're. Um, it's changing all the time, but it's a nice change, you know. Even for our, even the fellas that work in the shop and our trainees, like it's a great trade now. Like it's a real, you know. Like even you see all the butchers that are here watching it. Like it's there's, it's a great there's great passion in it and stuff. Like once once young fellas start getting into, like Stephen, that's in the team. Like he's an engineer, came in to work with us part time, went to college, got qualified, and it just the bug got him, and we have him since. <laughs> and you have a lot of innovation in your shop that it's yeah, not lot. just no, meat. No, no, you no, really no. add we, value we are, to what uh, you put we do, in the Yeah, shelf. we really try and push it out there and see what we can do. We, we're, our biggest thing there is to we start off with the best products we can and we try and add the best ingredients and we try and innovate because like I have two kids like most people do you know what I mean not saying most people do you know when they have kids so you know it's like to get home to be in a rush you want to eat something nice like and you have about 25 minutes 30 minutes turnaround before you ought to bring it to rugby or soccer or, do you know so we have all that as well like so we've been lucky that we've built up our shop kind of like that you know innovation has always been first you know so we'd spend every Wednesday now with new products some work some don't work some that you shell for a while some that you bring back in but oh it's very exciting yeah yeah and especially in Ireland too because like you I know we have a lot of rain like we have the best ingredients in the world you know and it's like some of our beef even so to talking to uh, to other butchers here like they can't get over it like the quality of the food in Ireland is just so it's all Irish meat that you work yeah, with yeah Irish meat Irish ingredient everything we have in the, everything we have that we're using the next year is all Irish yeah we have nothing that's not you mentioned there that one of your colleagues is an engineer what sort of skills does a really good butcher need to have good butcher needs probably uh, the butchers now I think more so than before probably have to have a real good eye for it like you know and really like we train our young fellas from like they could be anything from 17 to 23 or 4 you know they might start off would say as an apprentice, some might have gone to college for a couple of years and then came into it. Most of it, most of our, our uh, apprentices, most of them are college educated, like do you know, and so it's great. Then, but then, because uh, you're working with your hands and you're developing something new all the time, and it's changing all the time. So when we go into work on Mondays, no Monday's the same, no Friday's the same, no Saturday's the same. You know, so people I think enjoy it more than when you're going in, you're doing the same thing every day, five days a week, go home on Friday hours. Like ours can change all the time. You have different seasons with the spring lamb, you have different seasons with turkeys, you have different, you know, and at that thing, then you have big focus on that then you know at the time but but our stuff too like it's great like because a lot of stuff is when you value add like it's not just putting marinade in it's but you know boning out a chicken putting a duck into making sure it tastes right making sure the stuffing is right and we'd be bringing into that everything is perfect like we like perfection yeah 
you've such a passion for it you can tell the way you're talking oh, about it and the, yeah. the way your face lights up as well and being the son of a guard was that a profession that you were expected to go into oh, it was, yeah. were people surprised that, that you went down <laughs> yeah. the road that you went down is, yeah i just i i didn't want to become a guard even though it's a good trade don't get me wrong my father's guard for 30s of, of i don't know how many years now and uh it was and but it is yeah once you get into it it just takes over yeah yeah well i i realized there after two or three years doing butchering like that's why i traveled the world because i couldn't i couldn't learn i couldn't get enough information you know i couldn't learn enough you know and even still like i'm 46 now but uh, like even the stuff that we're learning now even for our young fellas do you know i was saying to the our apprentices like if i could do what they're doing now like it's just do you know the, the even the future's so bright from like you know people talk oh this and that like but for food and that good food like you'll never go out of fashion you know what i mean and good and especially irish food like should we have the, we have like people tell you about go here and this and wagyu beef and this and that we've the best beef in the world we've the best lamb in the world you know but we just and that's why here we wanted to show them how to showcase it how it because probably butchers in Ireland maybe wouldn't be classes you know with some of these fellas you know they wouldn't classes up at the top or, or they'll get some shock tomorrow <laughs> and your wife fiona is very heavily involved my in wife the fiona is, very is she heavily, from yeah. a farm she's from uh, she's from west limerick as well she's from kilmedia her father's a her father was a she's a fourth generation butcher that she keeps telling me she is so she's yeah and she's a qualified butcher she's qualified Hartica and she's she started as a in the civil service you know so she did and she's trained she works she works in the shops with us mostly at this stage now because we have two young kids as well so the, mostly doing the book works and stuff like that but she helps out like if when we started the shop first she used to do the chicken in the morning you know so we had a lot of early starts late evenings but oh it's all but as I was saying to the boys like it's not when you're a butcher it's hours don't mean anything like you know you start and you finish like that's it so but and the day goes so quick like you know and even any of the young fellas that start with us the biggest thing is like the day just flies like sometimes we just find there's enough hours in the day to get what we want done you know but with the kids and that like you have to have a cut up you know you have to have a yeah, cut up point now yeah and you have to have a good personality as well to be interacting ah, with the customers you do yeah you do like our customers like a lot of our customers I know this sounds I know people think this and that and it's it's marketing but a lot of our customers will be our friends like you know we have customers we're 12 or 13 years there we've grown up with them having getting you know going out with each other getting married having kids so now like we've done people's weddings their christenings their birthday parties like and some of these kids are 12 or 13 you know and we give away lollipops in the shop and always have since we've opened you know and these kids are coming in they're 14 15 grabbing them on the way home from school you know and, <laughs> and like you've seen them grow like and some of them growing from you know young kids into athletes and oh it's great like it's great and even even at christmas time in our shop like it's like it is real christmas like we everyone says hello everyone knows each other it's real real family like you know and we have two shops in the city but they're like they're like if you're in the you know in the village like because we'd know we'd know most of our customers by name like we'd know most of the kids now by name you know and but that only works if you do you know if you're passionate about it and if you like what you do you know what i mean and the kids like even the young kids that come in they come in behind the counter you know it's not you have to be a real people person oh you do yeah 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 and you enjoy it and like there's a great buzz when someone comes into you on the monday said i had beef i got your beef and cooked it yesterday it was beautiful like sure you can't compliments are great <laughs> and tell me if you look at the butcher's counter and you've the chicken there you've pork you have beef you've lamb what is the most popular meat at the moment in ireland oh yeah beef and chicken probably yeah beef and chicken and beef beef is our biggest seller like even though we like you go through different trends and people are into turkey at the moment turkey burgers and they're a massive part now at the last few weeks but like at the end of the day like it's beef beef lamb and chicken like they're the big ones you know especially coming up to easter now like it's massive like we do we have a massive easter trade because like, it's all spring lamb like, 
like, but you're getting the best of it, like, do you know, coming in out, but beef, beef still is like, we're butchers, so beef is, the, is our heart, do you know? Well, that was going to be my next question about the Easter lunch. What would you recommend that we sit yeah. down to on, on Easter yeah, Sunday? Yeah, oh, it has to be lamb, yeah, yeah, because it's a bit, lamb is dear this time of year because it's spring lamb, but like, it is once off, you know, we're like not, we're not like in many other countries, you know, we have the best of it, like, but we even see, you now we do lamb ribeyes, you know, we try and seam down the shoulders into smaller joints, so people don't have to come in and buy a leg of lamb, because it is expensive, like, especially this time of year, spring lamb, but like, like you can get a seamed out joint, a smaller feast, three or four people, and just as nice, you know, to, just the cooking methods might have to be a little bit different, that's all, you know, so, but, oh, it is good, yeah, lamb is, lamb and turkey this year now seems to be the big one for Easter. And when you've been staying here in Belfast, have you had an opportunity to go out and eat in any of the nice restaurants yeah, here? Yeah, we, we went to a place, Kitch, last night, and we went to Dean's, yeah, so it was lovely, yeah. The meat locker? Oh, yeah, yeah, we went there, so we, we're, we're up here since Thursday, then we went home for a couple of days to watch Ireland win the rugby, and then we came back up, so it is, and we're trying to, we have a few things we have to do tonight with the team, then and then the morning, then we're up at five o'clock, I think, and we're, we have to be here for half five, and we're kicking off at half seven. Wouldn't it be great to see a Dean's meat locker in Limerick? Oh, to which, yeah, yeah. Jeez, it'd be fabulous. Will you yeah, work yeah. in that while you're here? Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll have a word with him. <laughs> <laughs> well, come here, it's been lovely to talk to you. Yeah, Best you of luck yeah, now, tomorrow morning. Yeah. You must keep us posted. Let I will us know indeed, how you yeah, get yeah. On. We've, we've, there's a live stream on Facebook and then that garage, so it's good, yeah, it's great. Do you know, so it's very exciting now. You'd be, you'd be nervous, excited, like, but we can't wait to get going and get show off what we can do, you know. There'll we've a lot of work put into it now, so we are, yeah, we're going with. The team is really buzzing now, even today, like, we're in great, you know, they're in great form, so hopefully we can, well, we will perform, like, but just hopefully it's good enough. They'll be missing you down in Limerick and they looking will, for yeah. you home. So you better bring home the oh, trophy. Oh, we'll have to bring something home, yeah. <laughs> Thanks a million, Garrett. Not at all, Thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was in Belfast talking to Garrett Landers and Morris Altshire and I'd say if you haven't heard already you'll be interested to know how Garrett and his team got on. Well, fantastic news. They won the World Butcher Challenge. So huge congratulations to Garrett and his team members. What a fantastic achievement. And West Limerick was very much in the press last week for its culinary prowess. Dan Cronin's won the Seafood Chowder Cook-Off in LIT and will represent Limerick and the All-Ireland Chowder Cook-Off in Conceal next month. So best of luck to them in that. And then we had the Limerick winners announced in the Irish Restaurant Awards for the Munster area. And Tom Flavin, executive chef in the Limerick Strand Hotel, but he's from West Limerick. Tom won Best Chef. 1826 Adair won Best Best Restaurant and Best Emerging Cuisine. John Edward Joyce in the Mustard Seed won Best Manager and the Mustard Seed also won Best Customer Service and the Silver Room in Newcastle West won Best Newcomer. So well done to West Limerick and if you're interested in seeing a bit more of what Newcastle West has to offer visitors, be sure to tune into Nationwide on RTE1 at 7pm tomorrow, that's Wednesday the 28th of March and I think the food scene might feature for a few seconds so be sure to have a look. If you are just tuning in and you want to catch up on Best Possible Taste, you can do so on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And it's also on the taste.ie website. Vote it Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine.
So finally tonight, we're at our last interview and we're going back in time to 2015. I found this interview with our resident wine guru, Ron Forrestal, from Forrestal Wine Merchants in the archives when he came into studio to talk about wines for Easter. As Garrett Lander said earlier in the programme, lamb is huge for the Easter Sunday dinner and Ron has a few perfect pairings for us. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. So welcome to Ron Forrestal of Forrestal Wine Merchants and you're here because it's Easter Sunday this weekend and you're going to suggest wines to go with the Easter Sunday lunch and you have a red and a, a white for us to try. Before we look at that, lamb is is a meat that a lot of people would, would be having this Sunday. Lamb is fantastic. It's the perfect time of year because it's spring lamb. Um, and with that in mind, uh, lamb is, is a... Is, is such a delicate meat it's important to get a, a wine that doesn't overpower it too much and obviously the Irish lamb has a great reputation as well absolutely amazing because of the, the, the grass the, the, the diet is fantastic now traditionally with red meat people would say red wine and with fish they'd say white wine when it comes to lamb either or well, white wine is, is, is going to be difficult to find one that's going to stand up to the lamb lamb is still a red meat it's still it's powerful people tend to use garlic, rosemary, thyme, a lot of fairly strong flavours with it. So you're going to need something something red generally, I'd imagine, um, and uh, kind of medium body, not too heavy. Uh, kind of stay away from Shiraz or ones that you'd normally pick with a steak, those kind of wines. And what are you recommending? I'm recommending a, a kind of a very modern-styled Spanish wine um, from Rioja, which people would recognise as the most popular region in Spain, where all the big names that you'd remember come that you see in the shops are come from like Riscal and Caseras. But this is a much different winery um, called uh, Tobia. Uh, and this is Daemon. This is their entry-level wine. Um, you can see it's, this is radio, but the packaging is very new, very modern. I was just going to say it's a very unusual shaped yes. bottle. I don't think I've ever seen a bottle that shape before. Yes, their their whole range is is unique um, and very different for this part of the world, which tends to be very old styled labels. A lot of them have the foil, have the little wire around the bottles and that, and they move completely away from that using very bright colours. Um, the label has has, uh, has cat's eyes on it, are very distinctive, and it stands out. But the wine is really nice, yeah. and it's young and fresh, not too heavy. That's Give it a try, so yes, please. So in terms of colour then, describe the colour to us. Red wine varies in colours. You have some, some as, as mad as it sounds, it has some red colours, then you have some purple tinges, and you have some more brown colours. This now is a very ruby red colour. It's a very natural colour. If you look at it, if you hold up to a piece of white paper, you'll see exactly if you're at home and you want to see what colour the wine is. And there's quite um, a dusty smell off that. yes. No, it's aged in, in a barrel for six months. So what year is that wine? 2010. Okay. Yeah, because that would be my initial. It is quite dusty. Now I have got a bit of a head cold, so that could affect that. It's put into a real oak barrel, um, which is American oak, for six months uh, before it's bottled. It's very tangy. Yes. And you're saying you need something like that because of the All the, the flavours that go around the meat that you have. But it, it's not heavy at all. It's not too heavy. So it's not a, and it's not overly oaked. It has that oak flavour from it, but not some of the riocas you buy, the reservas would be in a barrel for 36 months. So three full years sitting in a barrel, which makes them very overpowering. But if you like that, it's great. And how much is this a bottle? Costing around 13 euros a bottle. Okay. And 
you'd just be having a couple of glasses of that with the dinner. Yes. You wouldn't be having maybe a couple of glasses before the dinner, a couple of glasses with the dinner and a couple of glasses after the dinner. Well, the, the, the Easter Sunday has become a big day. Um, it's a big meal now, um, particularly for restaurants. It's a huge day in restaurants. Um, but this this is a lamb dish. Obviously, I've brought a white as well. Um, but I've brought, because you're going to have a starter generally, which will, the time of year lends it to be something like smoked salmon or something fresh and light, especially when you're going to have lamb. Um, so for for a starter, I brought a Vina Verde, a Portuguese wine. Uh, Vina Verde is a very popular Portuguese product, hugely popular in Portugal. Um, every wine list will have a number of them that you'd see in holidays. But it's a very unusual product, and I really like it because it's a real weather kind of wine, good weather kind of wine. Um, it's slightly effervescent. It has a slight bubble in it. Uh, have you tasted it? You I like it? love it. Oh, I know I'm, I'm sitting here smiling. The listeners don't realize this. I'm sitting here smiling away. Jerome, and you're saying about it being a summer wine. I'm just busting to try it because it would really remind me of the summer. It is. Now, if you go to a wine list, you go, anyone who's been on holidays in Portugal in the Algarve, you'll see six or eight Vina Verdes on the wine list. It's a style of wine, probably the most popular style of wine in Portugal. Yes. But uh, some of them don't travel particularly well um, because they tend to be quite cheap. Um, now this is from Aleveda Aleveda is one of the oldest houses in Portugal they don't make anything cheap um, this is costing around 12 or 13 euros a bottle and this is their entry level they have two other levels above that again but Vina Verde just means green wine which means fresh really fresh drinking wine and I always feel drinking this on holiday that it's it seems to be watered down. I don't mean that in a bad way, but you just seem to be able to drink more of it and not feel the effects of it the way you would at home. Is it lower in alcohol? No, no, this is, um, I'll just check exactly see what it is now, but it's 11.5%, which is kind is, of standard. Well, that is, well, you see, like, what's the red there? Is the red 13, well, the red 13, half, yeah. you see? So 11.5 is quite low. It in, is, it's at I the lower think. end, I suppose, yeah, really. A lot of the French product would be 11.5, whereas if you go to South Africa or go to Chile, it's probably up around 12.5 or 13%, because the better weather is better. It's yeah, and I think that's a nice wine to drink without food. Oh, it's fantastic. And it works really well as a long drink. And, and this is a, it's a slightly unusual. But if you, if you take a, 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 a glass, some really good ice, a tall glass, like you put a gin and tonic in, put in some really cold ice, not watery ice now, really cold from your freezer, uh, get cold uh, uh, soda water or sparkling water, fill half the glass up with that, fill the other half up with this vino verde, and then put in a slice of cucumber as a long drink it's fantastic that would be a white wine spritzer yes but uh, but as uh, a really nice cool drink mm. and a great way to make the wine last longer absolutely great for later on in the summer when the weather is good and you don't want to be you know if you want to have a drink of a glass of wine or something in the evening or somebody comes in early that you don't feel like um, <laughs> a couple of glasses might be too much it means it's a little less yeah, we should direct people to the drinkaware.ie website at this point just to you know to be aware of units of alcohol and everything like that because we're not promoting overindulgence here but it is nice to have the couple of glasses and the other thing that some people might add to that would be lemonade 
Is that a splitzer then, as opposed to a spritzer? It's an awful thing to do, uh, really. <laughs> it's um, it, it, it's I agree. I agree, but I think you're saying there about making the drink last longer. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Use soda water by all means. Soda water or, or sparkling water, any of those is perfect. At least you're still tasting the wine. Uh, j- just try and avoid adding, if adding like uh, lemon and lime or, or white lemonade or those kind of products because they just take over completely. So you've the white wine then to go with the starter if you're having smoked salmon or something like that and then you've that the lovely red wine the Rioja for the the lamb dessert wines are something that you would do as well tell us a bit about dessert wines well dessert wines are uh, they, they tend to be they're, they're bracketed in the white wine but they're, they're not really um, they're much more syrupy sugar filled uh, drink than, than white wine would be so what basically happens is that they, they leave the grapes out uh, they normally pick the grapes at the end of September when they're picking a crop for to make dessert wine they leave them out probably two or three weeks longer the juice the, the grapes um, virtually rot on the uh, vine but it ends up with a really sweet sugar filled drop of juice per grape is what they end up with so the, the yield is very low takes a lot of grapes to make it they only use very good grapes to do it but you end up with a, with a really sweet almost orange in colour wine um, which are called sticky wines there's a number of them that you'd recognise from France like Muscat de Bonde Venise or Sauternes the New World do it really well Chile and um, and Australia and South Africa because the weather is better um, there's more sugar in the grapes um, they don't need to leave them out as long as they do in France and um, it, it works out a little bit cheaper French dessert wines tend to be very expensive whereas the New World ones tend to be much more affordable but it's a beautiful drink what you end up is that it's, you don't drink a glass of it you drink generally about a third of a normal glass of wine that would be a serving of dessert wine works really well with um, anything from fresh fruit to um, lemon tart to pavlovas anything like that it doesn't work that particularly well with chocolate chocolate is a different kind of product because um, chocolate is so overpowering um, and I know we discussed earlier it, it's red wine works with chocolate to a point um, it's very hard to drink a half a glass of red wine with a chocolate tart that doesn't work particularly well but they do work in small quantities they work well with each other I was thinking more about getting tucked into the Easter eggs this Sunday and what sort of red wine I can have along with that. Because I think red wine and dark chocolate goes quite well together. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult to find one that works pretty well with it. It depends how much you like red wine uh, and, and, and chocolate. Really, and chocolate. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think chocolate is very strong. It, it's, uh, but then they're doing really unusual things with chocolate now. Everything from you know your chili, which has been around for years, to adding absolutely mad things to chocolate uh, to move them on. But it's uh, again, it's what you like yourself. Um, but yeah, a red wine at the end is is difficult. Of course, if you're having cheese, it's completely different. Red wine is perfectly suited to having cheese. If that's true. Yeah, I've been moving on to the port then, I'd say. Absolutely. Port is the way to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have a new brochure out with all your wines in it. If people want to get hold of one of these, how do they get in touch Just with you? Just give me a call and we'll send it straight out to you. We have a big list of wines. Um, we've uh, added another 40 products to it since we started out last year. So we're at about 160 or 70 wines at the moment.
And just remind the listeners now of the red wine that you're recommending to go with the lamb this weekend, that they can order a case of that off you if they're entertaining lots of people. Absolutely. Now, we have a huge amount of choice, obviously, but the one I, I've chose for the, to taste today is a product called Daemon. It's from uh, Tobia, is the producer. It's from Rioja. It's a very new, modern-styled Rioja Spanish wine. Great. Well, cheers, Ron. Thanks a million for Thanks coming in. Much. Happy Easter. Same to you. Cheers. Chin chin. Salud. Schleinte. And that brings us to the end of tonight's programme. Thanks again to my guests, Daniel Priestley, Garrett Landers, Morris Altshire and Ron Forrestal. Next week I'm taking a little break for Easter and I'll be airing my latest radio documentary, What a Blast, 10 Years of the Irish Food Awards. So I'll be back in two weeks' time and until then, have a great Easter and bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org. As in, Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit. <laughs>